Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Hello, St. Louis and surrounding areas. You are listening to another edition of At Your Service, live, as always, from the downtown X studios. My name is Dave Simons, a certified financial planner by day and by night. Um, actually, kind of just a boring guy who spends most of those nights just sitting at home. But occasionally, I do get to come downtown and fill in for At Your Service, and that includes this evening. And uh, really happy to do it, although I admit to being a bit concerned a couple of days ago, knowing that I was going to be sitting in this seat in downtown St. Louis and driving home, which is West County, um, as the snowstorm, Snowmageddon, was supposed to be hitting Tuesday night. Now, we didn't know exactly when it was, when they first started to talk about this over the weekend, I thought, oh, geez, my wife is out of state visiting her parents and she drives the big SUV so I don't have that my son lives right nearby he's got the Ford F-150 however as he's getting ready to go to medical school he's got some nighttime classes that's where he is tonight so little old me and my good old-fashioned four-door sedan that doesn't do so great in snow I was a bit worried now I can do this show remotely and I could do it from my office at home but I I prefer not to do that really there's something about being in the studio you sort of get in the zone you can see everybody uh, you know it, it, would you rather play basketball actually with your friends at a real court or just sitting at home playing video games okay it's kind of the same thing for me when I do these when I do a show remotely yeah you can do it and thankfully because of technology listeners really don't know the difference but I do as the host. So I always, always want to try to be in the studio. So thankfully, I think I'm going to be okay. In fact, I know I am leaving here at 10 o'clock and going back west. But when I did leave uh, Chesterfield, as those of you out in West County know, it's already raining. So it sort of followed me downtown. And we really don't get the snow until later. So we'll be good. But folks, I am not good in the winter. I do not like winter. I don't like snow, and I've been that way ever since I was a little kid. Really. I was the kid that 
who would go out and play with my friends up growing up in Florissant, North County, and the snow would come down, and we'd have a snow day. And after 15 minutes, little Davey would want to come back inside. I just hated it because I... There are some of you have this issue with really cold hands and cold feet, and it can be actually very debilitating. It it can be a a medical issue. I don't have it that severe, but bad enough where I do feel it even throughout the day a little bit, even in the summertime. Well, I go outside in the winter and I lose all feeling in my feet and hands and fingers very quickly ever since I was a little kid. So I've I've been fortunate enough to do a lot of things in life and travel the world, but believe it or not, here at age 60, I have never gone snow skiing. I just, everyone tells me how much fun it is, and I'm an outdoor guy, and I'm athletic, and I compete and do all that stuff. I have no interest. Why? Because it's snow, and it's winter. I don't want to be a part of it. The The first memory I actually have of snow is a horrible one. So maybe I actually need counseling on this. I'm I'm four years old. So it's the winter of, uh, let's see, what would that be? 66. The winter of 66, 67. So somewhere in there. And my mom was a single mother at the time. So she's got me and my little baby brother. And we're living in Kansas City at the time. And we lived at the top of this little hill. She she was renting a house there in Kansas City. And in my mind, you know how we always embellish stories from our past? I envisioned the home sitting at the top of like Pike's Peak. Honestly, it was probably like three degree grade. It's probably nothing. But I remember it being this big hill. It was big enough that in the evening... And I have no idea where we had been. But my mom, in our car, driving her two little kids, we could not get up the street because of snow. It had snowed enough that day and into the evening. I think there was even some ice. She couldn't get up there. So we had to park at the bottom of the street. And this is what I remember. It's a horrible memory. And it was 56 years ago. But... I'm on my hands and knees crawling up the snow of the street, and my mom is carrying my little baby brother, who um, isn't even a year old. And she's slipping and falling, and my poor little brother's face planting into the snow. She's crying, my mom. Of course my baby brother is crying. I'm wailing. And welcome to the world of winter. That's my first memory. So I guess I'm really colored by it. So whenever big snowstorms get ready to come through, to me, I'd rather have a tornado come through. That's exciting. As a former news junkie uh, who used to work in the media and we'd get these weather things, I worked out in western Kansas. Man, I loved it. I actually got to see two tornadoes. When I worked out there, because it was a very common happenstance, and and got video of one in 1985, the summer of 85, and sold it to the Weather Channel for $700. I gave up the rights for it back in 85. Now, for a kid with no money, 700 bucks, man. Wow. So I took that, and it was so cool. They they showed my video on, on, on this cable, relatively new cable Weather Channel back then. Now, that's exciting. Snow, ah, don't like winter, don't like snow. 
Speaking of which, as I was kind of looking at some stuff related to this storm coming through, um, this thing popped up on my screen about New York City. They're about to set an all-time record. And New York City has been around for a few years, you know? Well, they've gone 320 days in a row without any traceable snow. The record, the all-time recorded record in that city is 332. They're just 12 days away from having the most consecutive days without any snow. Now, there is a system that is moving through there tomorrow, but they're right on the edge of the temperature. I am rooting for above 34, 35, because you can still have snow a, a little bit above 32. I want 36, 37. I want New York City to break that record because I'm anti-snow. So we'll see. Um, apparently, there's no other system after this one tomorrow and into Thursday. So if they can get through that with only rain, record, here they come. And that includes another one. Look at a winter season. Forget about when it's officially winter, December 21st or whatever. Let's be honest. It can snow in October, certainly in New York, November, all the way into March, sometimes even April, of course. But look at the the winter season. The longest that New York City has gone in through a winter without snow. The record is January 29th. That's the deepest they've gone into a winter before the first traceable snow. And that was back in 1973. So we're talking basically coming up on the 50-year anniversary of that. Well, here it is today, January 24th. They're only five days away from tying that record and then moving beyond in February. So come on, New York City. I know you can do it. Which is really interesting if you think about this in that same state, of course, in a completely different area to the west and a little bit north is Buffalo. I don't know that they've had a day without snow, it seems like. You just look at that playoff game of the weekend, big surprise. Oh, it was snowing. Um, And everywhere else around the country. Uh, My wife is actually in Texas right now. I, I said she was out of state. And they've got snow in North Texas. Coming in, I think they had it today or tonight, and they're getting it tomorrow. And New York City can't can't buy a snowflake. It's very interesting. All right, that's my little report on uh, as your weather meteorologist who dislikes uh, winter weather and snow. I do have some. Um, when we come back, I want to keep this baseball talk going a little bit. This is a baseball town, you know that. And I am so excited for Scott Rowland. Unlike any player that I can remember, it's it's really interesting. But I'll explain why. I've got. Some personal stories related to that and to the Baseball Hall of Fame um, in general that I want to share with everybody. And this has been a um, really special uh, day to see uh, Scotty Rowland get in there. So I will take a break. It's 815 in St. Louis. My name is Dave Simons filling in tonight for At Your Service, and we will be right back. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. 
Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. If your day sounds like... We need the report ASAP. You deserve Medella. If you've persevered through... You deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp but refreshing taste. Or if you overcame... You deserve this ice-cold reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. All right, my friends, welcome back. It is at your service. Dave Simon sitting in tonight and loving every minute of it. And loving the fact that Scott Rowland, the former third base great and uh, former Cardinal, I'm sure you have heard by now, has been elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame. That happened at about 5.20 here local time. I have never watched that announcement live. It was on the Baseball uh, MLB channel, which I get, um, but I've I've never watched it because in previous years when some of the Cardinals have been up, it was a foregone conclusion. You know, you get it like a guy like Ozzie Smith. Okay, he's in. And when Albert comes up, I mean, no-brainer. There will be no suspense, of course. AP will get in. But with Scott Rowland, he was right on the bubble. And this was his sixth year of eligibility. And a lot of people kind of in the know thought, you know, there's a chance this could be it. Because there aren't any um, easy picks this year. There, there was, There's not that Albert Pujols kind of guy. So maybe a lot of the voters will say, okay, well, here's the best of the lot. And we want to get one guy in this year, and he might be the guy. But I have a really good friend who I've known for a number of years. He's also a colleague of mine. His best friend is Scott Rowland. They grew up in the same small town in Indiana. It's crazy. They're the same age. They went to the school together from elementary on up, and they've remained very tight. And so when Scott would come to St. Louis after his playing days were over, would stay with my friend's house. My friend goes back home to Indiana. Of course, he has his own family there, but they hang out together. And so this was very nerve-wracking for my friend, and we've been texting all day. And um, he said, I don't think he's going to get in. Now, I think that's a defense mechanism. I, I don't think he wanted to be disappointed, so he was just telling himself. You know, he lowered the bar. And I said, I think he's in. I think he's going to get that 75%, but it's going to be really close. Holy smokes, was it close. I think it was like five votes or something, but he just got in, and he's the only guy. Now, here is a really interesting statistic that they were saying on the MLB network. He set a record in terms of the voting process. His first, Scott Rowland's first year of eligibility was back in 2018, and he only received 10% of the vote. That's the lowest percentage of any future Hall of Famer ever. That's quite, that's something. The previous record was Duke Snyder of, of course, the Brooklyn Dodgers. Duke Snyder's first year of eligibility, he got 17%, and it took 11 years for Snyder to finally get in. Scott Rowland starts at 10%, and in his sixth try, he finally gets in. And I think what it was is people started to just look at these numbers and realize, you know, a third baseman, he really was one of the greats. He's top five defensive third baseman of all time and all these other offensive numbers. I'll let the sports guy speak to that. But um, it was really, really nice to see. And, of course, I had to text my friend. I was right. You were wrong. 
haven't heard back from him. So then I, I got to thinking, who is in there who doesn't belong? And who should be in there? And I'm a big baseball buff, and in fact, I went to the Hall of Fame last, not last summer, summer of 21. It's crazy because people were always surprised that a guy like me had never been to the Baseball Hall of Fame. Seriously, that's that that's Mecca for someone like me. But I never could pull it off, and every spring I would talk to my wife, okay, this is the summer, I want to get up there. She would have no interest, so it would be a solo trip for me. But it's not easy to get to Cooperstown. It's not like it's right outside of New York City or something. But perfect excuse of my training group, my triathlon training group, four of us, not me, four of our group, they were competing in the Ironman at Lake Placid in July of 21. And the other folks in our group were going to go up and cheer them on. Little mini vacation. Perfect. Go to watch these guys at Lake Placid. But before, I'll go up a few days early and go to the Baseball Hall of Fame. Um, and so, uh, it it um, honestly, I had put it so f- high up on a pedestal, I was a little underwhelmed. I know that's sacrilegious among us baseball aficionados to say that. But I, I kind of was. I don't, maybe I expected to hear the angels from above singing as soon as I walked into the place, but it was okay. Now, I spent a lot of time in there, and I went to every nook and cranny of that place, and I really enjoyed it. Um, But it wasn't quite the mystique that I thought it would be, and it's in a very, it's a very nondescript building. It really is kind of the original structure with some additions here and there since it first opened back in the 1930s. Anyway, back to when I was talking about um, who who's in there who shouldn't be. Now, I am not going to give you my opinion on this. So I went to this website, this uh, kind of this baseball website called The Great Game, the online book of baseball, The Great Game. And I'm like, okay, these guys probably have some street cred here. And I found it. It said 10 people who should not be in baseball's Hall of Fame. Ooh, controversial. For those of you who are listening last week when I had the 200 greatest singers of all time listed by Rolling Stone and how subjective that is, and it gets people arguing, and that's the whole point. Rolling Stone loves that kind of stuff. They don't care if you're angry at them. You're talking about it, and you're going online and looking at their site. Kind of the same thing with this. So uh, very quickly, in order of 10 to 1, Number one being they do not belong in there. Number 10, according to this site, Jim Bunning, the pitcher, mostly with the Tigers and Phillies. Uh, Number nine, Burt Blylevin. I always like Burt Blylevin, but uh, it is true. He never won a Cy Young, and he never once led the league in wins. He never once led the league in ERA. He was just around for a long, long time. And he only made the All-Star game twice out of 22 years. So at least according to this group, Bert Blylevin should not be in the Hall of Fame. Okay. Number eight, uh, uh, let me be very clear, disclaimer, this is not from Dave Simons, okay? This is from an outside group. I got to be clear because Cardinal Nation will be very upset to hear number eight, Bruce Souter. That's their call. They feel that Bruce Souter was a really good relief pitcher, but not a great one. Number seven, Tony Lazari. And I totally agree with that. It's all about location, location, location. Tony Lazari on any other team um, 
would not be in the Hall of Fame. But he happened to play on a team called the New York Yankees back in the 1920s, 30s, I believe, even into the 40s. But uh, he played with Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, Joe DiMaggio. They were winning World Series after World Series, and Tony Lazeri was there like clockwork, and he gets in, even though his stats don't measure up. Number six, very quickly, six, five, and four. Rube Marquardt, uh, southpaw pitcher out of New York. Number five, Joe Gordon, very similar to Tony Lazeri, played with some Yankee greats on the infield. Stats don't quite measure up. And number four, Rick Farrell. He was an old-time catcher from back in the day. And then the top three, the three, according to this outfit, should not be in the Hall of Fame. And I agree with this. Number three, great guy, and one iconic moment got him in. Bill Mazurowski, really good fielder, okay hitter. What was that historic moment? For those of you who are baseball history buffs like me, you know it well. Um, It was that World Series winning home run for the Pirates. Game seven against those Almighty Yankees, that was in 1960. But the guy batted 260 for his career, had 138 home runs, just one was very iconic. Um, and in fact, it was so controversial when his inclusion happened in 2001. That was a veterans committee. They had to rethink the way that they did it. They actually uh, changed the process because of Mazarowski getting in. Number two, I've never heard of this guy. I thought, I didn't know a race car driver got in. Number two is Bobby Wallace. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I knew it wasn't that Bobby Wallace. But this Bobby Wallace played baseball from 1894 to 1918. In fact, he played five years with the Cardinals. Um, and he played shortstop, and his stats were okay. And then number one, this is interesting, gets back to St. Louis, but way back in the day. They just put it as Frankie Frisch's Friends. Freddie Lindstrom, Chick Hafey, Jesse Haynes, those are a couple Cardinals there, George Kelly, Travis Jackson, Dave Bancroft, all of the aforementioned names there are in the Hall of Fame, but according to this group, they don't belong. Why are they in? What do they all have in common? They were teammates at some point in their careers with Frankie Frisch. Now, Frisch himself is in, deserves in the Hall of Fame, and, and he is in there. But in 1967, Frisch took over the chairmanship of the Veterans Committee. It's very controversial what happened. And over the next six years, he just went on a, a voting spree. He he engaged uh, in Cooperstown cronyism, really. And he made sure all of his old pals got into the hall to share with him. So um, I say, hey, with friends like Frankie, who needs lobbyists out there? We'll be right back. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Welcome back, my friends. 834 in St. Louis. Dave Simons filling in tonight for At Your Service, certified financial planner by day and just all-around nice guy at night. So, yes, I do, um, as for a living, the one that pays the bills, puts food on the table. I am a financial advisor and have been for 29 years. Let's round it up and just say 30. How about that? And so, yes, when I 
occasionally fill in here um, during the evenings. I will throw in some investment-related advice and topics and finance and economics and things like that. So you will notice by the time I sign off tonight at 10 o'clock, I will uh, talk about some things that I think are very important and pertinent right now. And there's a lot of of that going on right now, obviously, with the bear market that um, that we had in 2022, people very worried about 23. And so I, I want to get to that topic here for the next few minutes. But I'm going to start with a sports analogy, since we've really hit a sports theme here tonight with the inclusion of Scott Rowland into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Imagine this, your favorite baseball team. Let's just let, let's say it's a fantasy team of some sort. You know, it's the Wichita, whatever. They happen to have a a major league team, and they've been around a hundred years. So they started playing in the majors in the nineteen twenties. And let's say this favorite team of yours just had a horrible season in twenty twenty two. In fact, out of the past hundred years that encompasses the full lifespan of this organization. They just had their seventh worst year ever in their long history in offense. Seventh worst ever. Low batting average, few home runs. For whatever reason, man, the team just could not hit. So when you rank all 100 years of offense, this was the seventh worst. Oh, but they weren't done yet. They weren't done disappointing you and breaking your heart last year because... Historically, for this favorite team of yours, they had the worst defense ever out of 100 years. Most errors, fewest double plays, dropping the ball all over the place. They were like the Keystone Cops on skates out there. So in one season, you your favorite team had its seventh worst offensive output ever and its worst defensive miscues ever. In the same season, probably wouldn't surprise you to know that, yeah, they, they about had their worst year ever. You know, that's pretty much what happened in the financial markets last year. It really is the same thing. Let me explain. Going back 100 years, the stock market just posted its seventh worst calendar year ever. If we look at the S&P 500. The S&P 500 dropped a little bit more than 18% last year. Now, that doesn't sound like a ton. I'm not saying it's good. But, you know, we've had years where the market's been down over 30% or so. But I'm talking calendar year. So the most recent really bad year would have been 2008. That calendar year was down 37%. Overall, when you look from the market top of late 07 into early 09, the S&P dropped about 57%. But we're just talking we're not talking about the full bear market. We're just talking about calendar year. So, the 18% plus decline last year in 2022, the seventh worst in history, well, dating back 100 years. But the big story is the bonds. Boring old archaic somewhat esoteric area of fixed income. This was Ruthian in nature, if we keep this baseball analogy going, in terms of the record that the bond market broke. It's not even close. The worst year that we've seen in the past 100 years for bonds was in 1994. 
And I was in the business then, and it was a real wake-up call because I was new in the business. And the bond market that year fell 2.9%. Bonds aren't supposed to decline hardly at all. In fact, they've only done it a handful of times over the past 100 years. They're supposed to stay relatively stable, and you get the coupon, the dividend, the yield. Well, when interest rates go up, bond prices go down. There's an inverse relationship there. So even if you collect a 5% dividend, maybe the principal of your bond just that year goes down 6 or 7%. So you have a net loss. As long as you're holding those bonds to maturity, it doesn't matter. Of course, you get your money back, your principal back. And in the meantime, you're collecting that coupon. But it's very rare to have a year, even when interest rates go up, that bonds actually decline overall. So the worst year over the past 100 years, it's, it surprises a lot of people. But the, the bond market was down 2.9% in 1994. That was the previous record. Do you know what the bond market fell last year in 2022? 13%. That's the bond index. It's what we call a bond aggregate. Just like stocks have an index like the Dow or the S&P 500, there is a bond aggregate index. You can do better or worse depending on the bonds that you have. This is just a bond index uh, down 13%. So when you combine the two, with bonds and stocks, and you are, are you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Let's say you have a moderate portfolio. You have roughly 60% stocks. You have 40% in bonds. That's Traditionally, that's the definition of a moderate portfolio. On a scale of 1 being really conservative, 10 being very aggressive, a 60-40 benchmark is seen at about a 5, maybe slightly to a 6, but right near in the middle. Well, that 60-40 portfolio last year posted its third worst overall return ever, ever. The two worst happened in the Great Depression. 1931, a 60-40 allocation of stocks to bonds that year in 1931 gave you a return of negative 27.2%. That's the record. Still stands today. The second worst ever, same decade, 1937, down 20.6%. The only two times that a 60-40 allocation has ever fallen in a calendar year more than 20%, and they happened six years apart. That was a doozy of a decade, as we know. Well, now comes 2022. A 60-40 allocation down about 17% or so, 16.8%, 17%. That's the third worst on record. Fourth worst is 1974, 15.2. Now, remember when I said in 2008 the market was down about 37%? But if you had a 60-40 allocation, bonds actually made you money. So a 60-40 allocation, you were down, but only, in air quotes, only, 14.2%. You actually weathered the storm in, in 2008. That's what's supposed to happen. That's why you allocate into bonds to give you that buffer. Folks, you didn't get it in 2022. Now you know why a lot of people heading into 2023 were really, really concerned. Oh, my gosh. That's like one of the worst years ever for just traditional allocation models are are we going to have anything like that 
again in 2023. Let me tell you, it's it's not very common for the stock market to be down two years in a row. In fact, since the Great Depression, do you realize it's only happened twice? Over 75 years of data. And the stock market has fallen in consecutive years two times. That's it. 1973-74. That was the so-called nifty 50 blue chip stocks that went way up, created a bubble in two years decline. And then 2000 to 02. So, yeah, semantics. You can get technical and say, well, Dave, really, there were two different consecutive years, 2001 and 0102. Well, okay. I'm just going to say it was a three year decline. So you've got a two year decline in 73, 74, and a three year decline, 2000, 0102. That's it since the Great Depression. So the odds of 2023 also being down, yeah, the odds aren't zero. But let's just say it's not very common that it happens. I've said before on this show and on my Dollars and Cents show that I I am not predicting what the stock market is going to do. Nothing would surprise me. Nothing. The S&P could be up 25% this year. Would I be surprised? Nope. It could fall 18% again this year. Would I be surprised? Uh-uh. It could be zero. I I don't know. I have much more confidence in saying the bond market itself will go back to its winning ways. That decline last year was so unprecedented. In fact, it was it was such it was so unprecedented. It basically wiped away uh, five years of gains. So for the first time in history, the bond market is showing a net decline over a five year period because of last year and a slight decline also in 2021. So I think you'll see a uh, a return to positivity for the bond market in 23. Stock market, I'm not so sure. When we come back, I, I do want to continue on this, this theme of sort of what happened in 22. This is really, really compelling here of something that I saw on MarketWatch.com. And it was a question that an investor had. It's almost like its own Dear Abby thing, but for investors. And I read this and I thought, oh, this is so good. Next time I'm on the radio, I am going to read this question. We're going to unpack some things because I think it could be really, really uh, illustrative and I think very helpful for a lot of investors out there to hear what this person is asking and then hear my take as we try to answer it. You're listening to At Your Service. Dave Simon's filling in tonight. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Howdy, howdy, howdy. 849 in St. Louis. Dave Simon's talking with all of you tonight as Snowmageddon is about to wreak havoc across the St. Louis region. Okay, I'm overstating it a little bit. But seriously, it, it uh, everyone's a little different about these things. Some people will say, oh, my gosh, can we hype this anymore? I turn on the TV, I listen to the radio, and they act like we're going to get 40 inches of snow. And it's it'll probably just be a couple of inches, and it's no big deal. While others will, will say, hey, man, you're going to take this seriously. You never know. Could be worse. Um I've got kids I've got to try to drive to school, but maybe school's canceled, and then I've got to try to find a sitter, or I've got to take a day off work, and it's a big deal. So we all sort of take this uh, news a little differently, but it looks like everyone seems to be on the same page in terms of the forecasting on this. 
um, north of St. Louis, you know, two, three, four inches around St. Louis, four, five, maybe six south of here, and then even up seven, eight, possibly nine, the farther south you go is, is, is kind of what they're looking at. At first, when it starts to come down later this evening and overnight, it won't stick because the ground's a little warm, but it'll be so heavy that finally it will start to stick and we'll get that measurable snow. But what's nice is it's going to uh, quickly warm up above freezing for the rest of the afternoon tomorrow. Refreeze overnight Wednesday night. That will be something we'll definitely have to keep in mind as we go and start our trek around town on Thursday morning. You could get some really uh, slick, icy patches around. And then warmer weather will come in, and this stuff will probably be gone by Thursday, and certainly by Friday, I'm hopeful. And that's your meteorologist, David Simons, reporting. No, at the top of the hour, you'll get the official weather report and all that. For now, I want to address a question that was posed on Market Watch, and I'm a, I am a sucker for good click bait headlines like this. And so I see this headline that says, um, we had $550,000 invested and told our advisor we wanted a conservative approach. Since then, we've lost $88,000. Should we fire him? Ooh, this is good. I got to read. I got to read what's going on here. So, of course, I click it open, and, oh, there's some other parts of the story. Um, I am glad they revealed their hand a little bit, but it makes them look um, really, really unsophisticated, which then does come back on the advisor that maybe the advisor is certainly on the up and up and hasn't done anything wrong, but has not communicated with these clients. Because if this advisor had properly communicated, they would never have had to take this question public. So here's the full-length question as you go into the article. My husband has taken an early retirement, or took an early retirement, when offered by his company. At that time, he had a 401k with about 550k that we gave to a big financial services firm rep to handle. Since then, we've lost $88,000 due to poor market conditions. Okay, at least they acknowledge that. And decisions. Okay. We expressed our need for a conservative approach. A large portion is tied up in bonds, and that amount feels like way too much to lose. Well, right there, it tells me the advisor is doing right by this conservative approach. The more conservative you are, typically and traditionally, you're going to put more in bonds. But it's almost like this investor, this client, doesn't know what I had just told you. That bonds just suffered their fir- their worst year in history. And by the way, in history, going back to 1789, researchers at Bank of America went all the way back to the first year of our republic and got all this data and said, do you know that we just experienced our, our worst year in, uh, yeah, over 230-some years? It, it's, it's crazy, but true. So conservatism didn't work last year. Okay, let me finish the question here. What's worse, this uh, writer says, the agent, now see again, little light bulb goes up. My radar is pinged by this. The agent keeps telling us, agent, is this an insurance company that happens to sell investments or this investor just is so unsophisticated doesn't know that we're not called agents? I mean, 
Anyway, that, that kind of jumped out at me. The agent keeps telling us that our, here we go, this is it, folks, that our $4,750 per month draw is too much. Do we change agents within the company? Do we jump ship and transfer everything to another company? Do we have to live on less than we want to just to make up for the loss? And that ends it. And then there are some other advisors who are asked to chime in and give their two cents. Folks, this is easy. This is a slam dunk. What jumped out at there for you? Of that question, what really jumps out? There are a couple of things. I already mentioned one, not understanding that last year was an anomaly. It wasn't really the advisor's fault, although you could say maybe the advisor could have done a better job reallocating some things in the present moment. Look, I, the math is simple. You start with 550 and you lose 88. That's exactly a 16% decline. Exactly 16%. Well, I already told you that that was the 60-40 allocation last year, traditional. It was, it was the third worst ever and worst outside of the Great Depression. So what I would be telling this client is, hey, I, I had you in something that was fairly conservative. And even if you did overweight in bonds and say you had 30% in stocks and 70% bonds, you were still dub- down double digits, maybe. This is where I would hold the advisor accountable. Our 60-40 allocation, our, our, our largest model that we use called dividend focus was only down single digits So last year. So there is a way that advisors and their team could have, you'd still be down, but you could have avoided the worst carnage by proper active management. Maybe you could somewhat hold the advisor accountable, but without knowing more information, I would I would prefer not to do that. You know what the real problem here is, and I think a lot of you know what it is. It's the spending. You have $550,000, and you want to take out $4,750 per month. That was before the decline. You're taking out 10.4% a year, and you want to be conservative? Folks, there's so much more to talk about on this issue. We'll pick this right back up after we stop here and uh, for this news, weather, and sports break. Stay with us. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.